This morning we continue our sermon series, Timely Answers to Tough Questions. In it, if you've been with us, uh, we are looking at big questions, relevant questions, and perhaps even hard questions that people need answers to in these days, perhaps that people want answers to in these days. Now, I want to tell you, I know God has led this series. I believe its timing has been right on time, and I believe that is in God's plan. I have been saying that it seems, at least to the preacher, that each week's question seems to be getting harder than the previous week's question. That seems to be happening. That's what I seem to be finding. Well, I want to tell you, today our subject is the hardest I've ever preached on. It is the most complex that I've ever considered, and potentially it carries with it the greatest implications. Questions like, is God really good? Is God really just? Is God really trustworthy? Is the gospel good news? Even the question, what is the gospel? All of it comes out of this one subject, this one question. It is that big. Yet, I have never heard it seriously addressed or preached on it. So I'm going to tell you this morning with my heart beating a little harder and with my blood pressure probably a little higher and with my eyes fixed solely on Jesus, I seek in the empowerment of God to answer this question. Is my baby in heaven? Is my baby in heaven? I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Let's pray. Great Father, we come today. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for a hope set, fixed in you. We're thankful for the provision for us as sinners in the cross of Calvary. We're thankful for forgiveness. We're thankful for redemption. We're thankful for eternal life. Lord, we come and we praise you this morning. We come and we worship you. We exalt you this morning. We pray that you've been pleased as we have gathered. Lord, now as we begin to study your word, I pray, Lord, that it would be your word. I pray that it would be your truth. And I pray that you would speak. And I pray out of that truth there would be peace. I pray that there would be joy. I pray that there would be confirmation. I pray that there would be building confidence out of the truth of your gospel, the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for some here today that do not know you. I pray in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that any hindrance will be removed today. And maybe they're listening in this room, maybe some other place, and today might be the day that they would hear the gospel, the good news, that they would respond in faith and be saved. Lord, I pray on this topic. I pray here for, for families, for parents, for mothers whose hearts hurt today. Lord, I pray that in the hearing of the truth that they would find peace, they would find an anchor that would hold. And they would find Jesus, most of all. They would see Jesus. Lord, we come and ask that you would lead, that you would speak. We trust this to you. We tell you, Lord, it's all for your glory. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Is my baby in heaven? Based on what? Can I be sure? What does that mean to me? This is a serious question. 
Undoubtedly, it is an emotional question. It is an important question. And it is bigger. It is far more far-reaching than we would expect. In fact, in its answer is an illumination to the gospel that we hold and a revelation of the God of that gospel. In this answer, we're going to examine and we're going to see our gospel. We're going to see our God, the gracious, good giver of that gospel. It is that big this morning. Now, when I think about that, I think about the bigness of that. I see uh, the implications of that. Again, I will tell you, I have never heard anyone preach on this subject. And it is often avoided as it is called a special case, or maybe we consider it an exception to the rule. In many theology books, it falls under the heading of special cases, infant death. Well, I want to tell you this morning, the reality is it is actually far from being a special case. Sadly, I will tell you, it is not rare. It is actually common. Statistics tell us 10% of pregnancies, 10% of pregnancies result in miscarriage. That is one in 10. That is the death of the baby, the infant, before 20 weeks of pregnancy. The same statistics tell us that just under 1% result in stillbirth. That is the death of the baby after 20 weeks of pregnancy. Another statistic records an average of 21,000 infants, babies, die in the first year after their birth here in America alone. Now, all of that means this. This subject will touch most people, if not you, your family, or someone in your friend group, or someone in our church family. And so be sure today, we should not avoid the subject calling it a rare occurrence. Now I want to start in confidence this morning and say our answer is in the truth. And in the truth we're going to find peace. Now listen, we don't have to be scared of that. We're going to find our answer in the truth and in the truth we will find peace. If we're going to find peace in these questions and really with any question it will be found in God's truth. Well, just like last week, there are many non-truths presented in this area as well. Now, I will tell you, usually they are well-meaning. Usually they are meant to provide comfort, but they are not true nonetheless. And so I want to start there. There's a bunch of them. You've heard many of them. Uh, I want to start with just two of those, a couple of things that are not true. Now, the first thing is this. And I think we just need to be sure of this. The first thing is this, your baby, your infant in death does not become an angel. Be sure and hear that. Some folks say that. We we say an angel baby. They do not become an angel. They do not get wings. Now listen to this. They are a person and they are a person of value and they are a person created in the image of God. They are a person that is dear to us and they stay that person. Now listen, that's good news. They're a person that God knows, that's dear to God, that's dear to us, 
and they stay that person. Now, the second thing is this, and I, I hear folks say it. This is why I'm going to address it. The second thing is this. God did not need your baby. God did not want, God did not need your baby. When I, when I hear folks say that, they mean to comfort. Well, this was God's plan and he needed your baby. And in heaven, he needed your baby. Well, when I hear that, my instinct is to say, well, so did we. So did we. God did not need your baby. That's not how he works. That's not how he operates. Okay, so here we go. The truth is this. Now be sure and hear me out. The truth is this. Infants, preborn, postborn, in the grace and the power and the provision and the justice and the love of Jesus Christ are in heaven. Now, I want you to hear that again, and I want you to be very clear in that. Listen to what I said. Infants, preborn, postborn, in the grace and the power and the provision and the justice and the love of Jesus Christ are in heaven. Now, the next question is, based on what? And that makes a lot of sense. Based on what? How do we know that? Based on what? I hear that, but what are we basing that on? Stay with me. There is not a singular verse that says babies are in heaven. And maybe you've noticed that. Maybe you're hearing that for the first time. There is not a singular verse that says babies are in heaven. There is not a singular passage that I can say, if you'll turn here in the passage, it'll tell us all babies are in heaven. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, there is a verse where King's David, King David's baby has died, and he says there in that passage, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. It says he gets up, he brushes his hair, he changes his countenance, he goes back to life. He says, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, I will tell you, I believe that is a good indication, but it does not definitively say all babies are in heaven. In the Gospels, it is recorded, Jesus says, Suffer not, hinder not the little children from coming unto me. That is a good verse. It is an important verse. But it does not definitively say babies are in heaven. Also in the Gospel accounts, Jesus holds up a child as an example. And he says the kingdom of God is such as this. That is an important verse. That is a very telling verse. But again, it does not definitively say all babies are in heaven. There is no such passage. Now, I wish that there were. It would be a lot easier for me if there were, but there is not. Well, here's the question. Why is there not? Now, stay with me. Why is there not? If this is a huge question, if, if our hearts are hurting, if we're sitting around wondering, if some of us have gone through the process and have suffered loss, and if we're looking for answers, why is there not? That's a great question. If it's this big of an issue, if it's not that common, uncommon, why is there not a verse? Hear me, friend. Listen very carefully. 
It is because we have in God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yes, in God's word, in fact, in God himself, we have the answer. Now, you're going to have to stay with me today. We have the answer. Remember back when I did the seven sermons on Calvinism or Reformed theology? I said during that study, what we believe has implications. What we believe has implications. What we believe here, it's going to matter over there. What we believe here, it's going to have implications in other areas. Well, today we're going to see that. What we believe, what we hold as truth has implications. Now, I want you to see this. Be sure. Now, this is a pretty deep thing. I want you to think about this. The truth. When you have the truth, when you arrive at the truth, when you have the truth, the truth answers questions. When you have the truth, it resolves confusion. That's what the truth does. You're wondering, you're looking, you're confused. And when you have the truth, it answers questions. And when you have the truth, it resolves confusion. But the non-truth stirs up questions and results in confusion. Now today we're going to see that again. All right, here's the issue. As Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ, we believe, we hold as true, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now that's what the Bible tells us, that's what we believe. As Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ, we hold as true, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not of any work of our own, not of any status given by wealth or family lineage, not of any status that is earned or ascribed to us through good works or through church membership. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way. That means practically... And personally, we are saved when we as individuals, when we see our sin, when we understand the penalty for that sin, death, when we accept our responsibility for that sin, and we turn to Jesus in repentance, believing him to be the gracious remedy for sin. By faith in Jesus, we're saved. I understand I'm a sinner. I understand I'm responsible for my sin. I understand I've earned a punishment, death, separation from God for all eternity in that sin. I believe Jesus to be the Lamb of God, the perfect remedy, the only remedy for a lost sinner. And by faith, I turn to him and I trust him. By faith in Jesus, we are saved. That is the truth. Here's the issue. Babies can't do that. Preborn, postborn, they can't do that. Intellectually, they can't do it. Developmentally, they cannot do that. And so now there is an issue. Are they saved? If they are saved, how are they saved? It's not by faith, and there starts to be a conflict. There starts to be a problem. If they're saved, it's, it's not by faith. I don't understand. That's what the Bible says. And so there is confusion. And so for all these ages, many people say, well, we'll do something about it. 
we don't, we don't like the idea of this, and so we'll do something about it. One of their greatest answers is, we'll baptize them as infants. We'll baptize them as infants, and we'll break the sin curse off of them. They will be saved in baptism. We'll explain later what it means, what it means to them. We'll lead them to the gospel later. But as for now, we're going to baptize them as infants to save them. That's where that comes from. That's why there is infant baptism. And it's because there is confusion. And now there is this issue. And it's come up. And so we worry. And we begin to wonder, is my baby in heaven? Where's my verse to tell me my baby is in heaven? Babies can't understand the gospel. They can't respond in faith. And so maybe there's an issue there. Maybe they're not saved. I don't understand. And confusion ensues. Let me tell you something. Satan thrives in confusion. Satan births a whole lot of non-truth in the midst of confusion. Remember today, what we believe has implications. And the truth resolves questions. It does not produce them. And so this morning, here we go. We're going to take a trip. Let's go back to the truth. Let's break this out. Let's go back to the truth. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Now, remember from two weeks ago, one week ago, it is the Greek word that means delivered from peril and brought to safety. It's both of those things, delivered from peril and brought to safety. In this sense, we are saved. That's why God chose the world. That's why he uses the word. We are saved from the wrath and the penalty of God for sin. And we are delivered, we are brought to safety. We are saved from the wrath, which is righteous, and the, the penalty, which is just for sin. Now, I want you to hear that. We are saved from the wrath, which is righteous, of God, and the penalty, which is just for sin. In faith in Jesus, we are saved from the penalty of sin, the wrath of God towards sin, and we are delivered in Jesus to safety. So what about the baby? What about the infant even preborn? Here is why that is an issue. Some people, many people, and all of a sudden in our denomination, a growing number of people hold that babies at the point of conception are guilty of sin. That's a growing thought. That's a common thought. They are guilty at the point of conception. They are guilty of Adam's sin. Now, that is from a misapplication of Romans chapter 5 and some other verses as well. And so they believe at the point of conception, they are sinners and they are guilty from the point of conception under the condemnation of God for sin, for Adam's sin. And so they need to be saved. And if they are not saved, they will go to hell to pay for the sins that they're going to have to pay for for eternity. The Bible says they're only saved by faith. And so here's the issue. Here's the problem. 
Folks, I want you to be sure. Reformed, Calvinistic, Augustinian doctrine teaches this. It is at the core of their belief. I'm not mentioning any words. Listen to me. It is at the core of their belief. It is the basis for the five points of their tulip. It is why they believe in total depravity. It is why they believe in unconditional election. The, they believe from conception. Infants are guilty of sin, condemned to death, to be eternally punished for sin. Again, beliefs have implications. What you believe is true has implications. And so if that's what you believe, they're guilty from the point of conception, you've now got a dilemma. If that's what you believe, if they are guilty, they need to be saved. And the question is, how are they saved if salvation comes by faith in Christ alone? Point of confusion. Let me give you some of their answers. Point of confusion. Let me give you some of their answers. R.C. Sproul, he's one of their most popular teachers. He's one of their big dudes. Uh, he's passed away. His church teaches that infants are saved. This is their official stance. Infants are saved if the parent was saved. And if the parent is not saved, they are a mystery. It's what they teach. Now, the reason they say mysteries, they don't want to say they're lost, even though that's what their teaching goes toward. If the parent is saved, the kid is saved. If the parent is not saved, they are a mystery. It is a misapplication of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If the saved parent, if the saved, if they have a saved parent, then the infant is also saved. If not, it is a mystery. I want you to be sure of this. That is nowhere in Scripture. Be sure that is the opposite of our gospel. We are saved in our faith alone and not somebody or anyone else's faith. But in their confusion, it's the best that old R.C. can do. You know what? If the parents are saved, there's some kind of legacy, and they're saved. If they're not, you know what? It's a mystery. I'm not worried about it. Let me tell you another one. John Piper, he's another of their big dudes, most popular of their, all their preachers and teachers right now, sells a whole bunch of stuff, sells a whole bunch of books. Here's what he says. He says, if they die as an infant, they will mature and grow after death. And later in maturity, they will make a faith decision for Christ. That's what he says. Well, don't worry. They'll, if they die as an infant, they're going to grow up after they die. And at some point, after growing up after they've died, they're going to, they're going to understand the gospel and they're going to make a faith decision decision for Christ. I want you to be sure today that is nowhere in Scripture, and I want you to be sure it is opposite of our gospel. No one is saved post-mortem. Nobody is saved after death, but in all the confusion, it's the best that John Piper can do. John MacArthur, in jest, he's called the Calvinist Pope. He's another one of their big dudes. He says, here's what he says, infants that die, babies that die, are saved. This is what he says. Knowing the grace of God, he knows the character of God, the grace of God, and yet in conflict with what he himself teaches, 
He says, in the grace of God, they are saved, but he doesn't know how. That's what he says. They're saved, but he doesn't know how. Can you imagine preaching that funeral? They, praise the Lord, are saved. I don't know how. What are you basing that on? I don't know. I don't know how. It doesn't add up with the rest of the things I'm preaching. Can you imagine that? In confusion, it's the best John MacArthur could do. Many of those professing Calvinism, Reformed theology, they say it goes back to election. It's a flawed understanding of election. And they say, if you're elect, you're saved. If you're elect, doesn't matter. If you're elect, you're saved. That's, that's the only thing that matters. They say they can be regenerated before birth. That's the example they think of John the Baptist. You're made new, you're saved in the womb, you're regenerated before birth. Some of them say that. You're saved at death. When you die as an infant, you're going to meet Jesus. And even as an infant, you're going to be so overwhelmed that you're going to trust him and put your faith in him. If you're elect, you will be saved. If you're not elect, here's what they say. You are not saved. Plain as that. It's the best they could do in confusion. Let me add this. While we're right here, we're going to move on in a second. Let me add this. To hold this and holding this view evidently forces people to end up with a very negative view of the human infant. And if you hold these views, and I, I think if you, if you stew in them, if that's your belief set, it leads you to come to a very negative view, and I'll just tell you, I believe a very evil view of the human infant. Let me give you some examples here. Vody Bauckham, one of their popular preachers, he says of a baby, listen, these are his words, he calls them vipers in diapers, and his whole crowd laughs when he says it. He says a human infant, they're vipers in diapers. He says they were born small, because they are so evil, if they were big enough, they would kill their parents in their sleep. That's what he thinks of a human baby. Jonathan Edwards, he's the preacher of this doctrine. Here's what he says. He said, it is most just, exceedingly just, that God should take the soul of a newborn infant and cast it into eternal torment. That's what he says. Oh, John Calvin himself, John Calvin, who called for the beheading of those who disagreed with him. Now, I think that's why they don't like his name anymore, but that's what it is. Here's what John Calvin says. He says, Baby are as, babies are as depraved as rats. That's what he says of the human baby. They're as depraved as rats. R.C. Sproul says, here's what he says. I wish he hadn't have said that. He's talking about John Calvin. I wish he hadn't have said that. It is a gross insult to those rats. That's what he says. John Calvin goes back to him and says, God arranges all things by his sovereign counsel in such a way that individuals are born who are doomed from the womb to a certain death and are to glorify him by their destruction. Now, I could go on. Those statements are pretty common. But evidently, holding this belief set seems to breed some kind of disdain, some, some kind of hatred for the human infant. 
Well, let me tell you some things right here. I'm about to start preaching right here. That's the background. Let me tell you some things right here. Let me tell you what the Bible says. First thing the Bible says, the Bible says children are a blessing from the Lord. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says they are a gift from God. Psalm chapter 127 verse 3, they are a reward from God. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says they are fearfully and wonderfully made to his praise and to his glory. The Bible tells us that we are to love them. We are to train them. We have a stewardship before God for them. I want to tell you right now, I'm very leery. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm leery of any teacher and any teaching that causes us to spew hatred on children. It is not of God. It's not of God. Second thing is this. Listen very carefully. Second thing is this. God is good. And he's infinitely good. And he's always good. And he's dependably good. And there's not two definitions to that word. God is loving. And he's infinitely loving. And he's always loving. And he's dependably loving, and there's not two definitions to that word. God is just, and he's perfectly just. He's infinitely just. He's always just, and there's not two definitions to that word. God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous. He's always righteous. He is infinitely righteous. He'll never be found in unrighteousness. And there's not two definitions to that word. And listen to me very carefully. And to condemn to eternal torment souls who are condemned for a sin they did not commit and their only grievance is being born, an act that they had no part of, That is not good. That is not loving. That is not just. That is not righteous. And friend, I want to tell you, that is not our gospel, and it's not our God. Folks, if you need a reason to reject Calvinistic reform, Augustinian beliefs, be sure whether it is one point or two point or three point. Maybe you want to be a coward and hide behind that. Or if it's all five points, if you want a reason to deny it, understand they misrepresent the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and they malign the character of our God. It's not the gospel. It's not our God. Run from it. Run from it. Run from it. So what is the truth? All right, listen to this. Somewhere I feel like there's a van load of Calvinists loading up coming to find me right now. Run from it. Here's the truth. When we are born... We inherit from Adam, listen to me, a sin nature. It is a nature fallen, predisposed to sin. However, we do not inherit the guilt for Adam's sin. We are not born guilty because of Adam's sin or anyone else's. You're not held accountable for your parents' guilt. 
We're not born guilty because of Adam's guilt. Romans chapter 5 says, through Adam, sin entered into the world. Through Adam's consequence for sin, death, the Bible says, entered into the world. Yes, listen to me, we are sinful because of Adam's choice to sin. There is a consequence, and we walk in the consequence of Adam's sin. We suffer, yes, we die, but we are not guilty of Adam's sin. There's a lot of verses we can look at right here. I'm just going to pull out one. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous one will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked one will be upon himself. And so we are not born in guilt. We are not born under the condemnation, the sentence of Adam's guilt. And so an infant is not under the penalty for sin because of their guilt. And so therefore they are not saved. Listen, our definition. They're not saved. They're not lifted from the penalty of sin and delivered to safety as we understand that word. Still, I want you to be very sure. Hear me. For every sinner, if they are to be saved, they will be saved by faith in Jesus. I'm not talking about universalism here. Every sinner, if they have sinned, if they are going to be, if they're going to be saved, the Bible says of all have sinned, they will be saved by faith in Jesus. Yes, that is true. Yes, that does not change. No, we don't have to twist it up to keep holding on to that. Yet the infant is not guilty of sin. Do you get that this morning? Because they have not sinned. The preborn infant's not guilty of sin. Yes, they are predisposed towards sin. Yes, they carry a, a, a predisposition for sin, a nature of sin. They are not guilty of sin. They haven't sinned. And yet as humans, with a sin nature, you might say, well, how are they going to be in heaven? How are they going to be in heaven? Folks, listen very carefully. It's still through Jesus. It's still through Jesus. Impacted by sin, marred by sin, suffering because of sin, even dying dead because of sin, but not bearing the guilt of sin, they are part of the creation that will be set free from its slavery. Romans chapter 8, verse 21, listen. Will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know the whole creation, they are part of that creation, the whole creation. The rocks with no guilt, yet they are groaning. The trees with no guilt, yet they are groaning. The infants with no guilt, yet they are dying. The Bible says, suffering the pain of childbirth together until now. And so understand, in Jesus, in the work of Jesus on the cross, they are redeemed like all sinless, yet marred creation. They are made new like all sinless, and yet marred creation. And praise God, listen to me, they are loved by God, they are under His care, they are graciously provided for in the cross of Jesus, and they are in 
heaven. So the gospel is this. And the good news, the good news is all of creation is set right. All of creation is made new in the cross of Calvary. And for sinners, those that have sinned, for sinners, those bearing the guilt of their sin, those guilty in their rebellion, those lost and perishing in their sin. Listen, I have sinned and you have sinned. For them, there is a Savior. And by faith in Him, there is a remedy today. By faith in Him, if they'll trust Him in faith, for those that have sinned and earned the consequence or are standing under the condemnation that's righteous and just, for those that have sinned and stand under the penalty of death, there is hope in Jesus. All right, that's a lot of words. What does that mean? I want to make this as practical as I can, and we're going to get out of here. What does that mean? Let me tell you some things it means. First thing it means is this. Listen very carefully. If you have lost an infant, you've lost a baby, they are a person. They matter. They are known by God. They are loved by God. They and the grace and the provision of Jesus are in heaven. And that's why King David can lift up his countenance and brush his hair and go back to life. Here's what else it means. Listen very carefully. It also means this. God cares for you. Sometimes we lose that in this, in this discussion. God cares for you. He sees you. He knows the pain of your heart. He knows your heart is broken. And I want to tell you it's an awesome thing that the God of all creation, the Savior of the cross, He knows your hurt. In Psalm 34, He says, He draws near to the brokenhearted. He sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your tears that come and fall in the night. He sees you. He says He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He loves you. And in Him, you will have, find, keep, hold peace. You'll have peace in Jesus. Third thing it means is this. Listen to this one very carefully. It means you can spend eternity with your child. Now, some folks don't like me, like me saying that, but I want to tell you, it means you can spend eternity with your child. Robbed of these years, you can spend eternity with Jesus and with them. 1 Thessalonians says we will be together with them. Now, what does that mean? It means this. If you'll see your sin. If you'll understand your sin and you'll turn to the grace of God given to us in the person of Jesus Christ, if you'll receive him as your Lord and your Savior, listen, you'll be forgiven. You'll be restored. You'll be made right with the Holy God. Praise the Lord. And you'll see him again. And I want to tell you, I think about this. I, I think about this. I can't imagine those reunions. And I can't imagine those embraces. And I can't imagine that joy. And what sin has robbed away in Jesus is restored. And I can't imagine there is our son and there is our daughter. And I want to tell you, maybe nobody will worship as much with our sins forgiven, with the curse of death forever conquered. Oh, the joy of reunion. Oh, praise the Lord. And the last thing it means is this. Last things it means is this. Brother, sister, 
I don't have to stutter. And I don't have to guess. And I don't have to cook up and craft some wild answer. It takes me 50 days to put a bunch of stuff together. I don't have to bumble around. Our God is good. And our God is just. And our God is righteous. And I want to tell you, our gospel, listen to me, it is worth shouting today. There is good news in Jesus. There's good news in Jesus. The gospel's worth shouting today. And I want to tell you, I don't have to stumble around. Our God is worthy. He's worthy of all worship. He's worthy of all praise. He's not underhanded. He's not unrighteous. He is good and he's kind and he's gracious and he's just and he's loving and praise. Praise our great God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to tell you, any presentation of the word of God that ends with less than that isn't the full presentation of the word of God. Our God is good, and he is worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Very Father, we come and we praise you. We thank you. You are righteous. You're gracious. And you're loving. I don't have to pick one of those and sell out to defend it. I can defend them all at once because of Jesus. Justice upheld, Jesus. Grace given, Jesus. Love made known, both of them, Jesus. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for mothers here. I pray for fathers here, and I pray for grandparents here, family members here that have stood by graves. Some of them weren't even blessed with that. I pray, Lord, that you give them peace today. Pray that you remove and confuse and give them joy today. I pray we walk out of here, and yes, our hearts still sting, but oh, we'd walk out with a heart of love for Jesus. Lord, I pray for some that do not know you today, and I pray that they would hear there's truth, there's hope in the person of Jesus. They will turn to him and trust him. He loves them. He's made a way for them. And they can be saved in the provision of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that be the fruit of this day here in, in this auditorium and other places as well. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would stand on your truth. We'd be agents of your peace through your truth. I pray that it bring much glory to you. Lord, I'm thankful for you. As I stand here and I think of one more thing we didn't earn, we didn't deserve. Given to us in the grace of Jesus, my heart wells up. Lord, I love you. I thank you and I praise you. And I give all this to you and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end with a time of response, a time of invitation this morning. If you're here, listen, you never trusted Christ, I want to tell you, he's your hope. and He's your answer and he's your peace. and He's the only way to be saved by trusting Jesus. If you're here and you've never trusted him, I want to tell you, the invitation stands for you today. His grace is offered to you today. Trust Jesus. Profess in your mouth what you believe in your heart. Trust him as your savior. He'll save you right now. If you've never done that, do it right now. If you've never done that, do it right now. If you need, if you need to talk about it, you need more information, you come. I'll show you what God's word says. Settle it today. If you're here and you've put your hope in Christ, but you never fought in believers' baptism, the Bible says it's always after the point of our salvation. It's not part of it. It's not a piece of it. It's a testimony. And so you say, you know what? I've trusted Christ. I've never fought in believer's baptism. When obedience to Christ, testify, point to Christ through your baptism. God will bless it. 
he'll use it. You come, we'll set a day to be a great day of celebration. You're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come and man, let's, let's hold up his word. Let's preach the good news for his glory. Let's grow in his truth for his glory till he comes again. Maybe you're here and you've suffered great loss. I want to tell you there's hope in Christ and there's hope alone in Christ. But we do have hope. And your response today is just to say, you know what, I don't understand. I don't understand this lot. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wouldn't choose it. And as your heart hurts, I want to just tell you, put your eyes on Christ. He loves you. We're going to stand to sing. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.